In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Live. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, knowing one's own Van Helsink. With me, my co-host, all the way from East Bridgewater, wherever the hell that is, <laughs> uh, she is the lead investigator for East Bridgewater's Most Haunted, the charming, ever so lovely, and Runway Kerrigan. Oh, hi. How are you, Ron? I'm charming and ever-lovely. Awesome. Evidently. Evidently. Wow. Ooh, you're and, in a good mood. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, I'm in a good mood because uh, Dr. Carol's Keith is coming over here, and uh, that's kind of exciting. That's very exciting. Very awesome. I, wa- I want to see if his ideas of explaining the way the paranormal uh, are logical or not. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be very logical. We will find out. Right. Anyways, uh, we have a great show. Unfortunately, uh, we do have some sad news. What? What's wrong? This is our last day on Pararex. Oh. Just the okay. regular show. The, the international show is still going to be on Pararex. But, uh, yeah, the um, there was a little bit of a... Uh, uh, scheduling problem, I guess we could say. Oh, well, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah, well, crap happens. Yeah, apparently. They should just uh, put us to the top of the list. I mean, every, nobody else counts. Well, anyway. Okay. But we're going on with a bang, because <laughs> we have the man with the most bang, and it is none other than Dr. Karen, uh, Karen, Karen, I can never see that, Karen O'Keefe. Hello. Dr. Good evening, hey, Hi, Anne. How are you? Hi, Karen. Very good. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I love the introduction. You're waiting <laughs> for me to explain away the paranormal as long as it's logical. <laughs> well, you know, if he explains it all away, we'll have nothing to talk about. So he can't do that. <laughs> right? Well, exactly. you know what the thing is? I, I listen to some people who try to debunk, debunk things or explain away things, and sometimes their explanation is more ridiculous than accepting that it might be paranormal. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, you're right, and you know me uh, so well now, Ron. I've been on your show a number of times. We've spoken a number of times. And you know that I am a skeptic rather than a debunker. I am open-minded to the possibility, and I'll never say anything definitive like, forget it, that's not paranormal. 
It's all about alternative explanations and trying to get people to, to decide for themselves. Although, I have gone on record a couple of times, like you say, I have occasionally given explanations that are more wild and crazy than a paranormal one. Can you, re- you, can you recall one offhand? Yes, uh, there were two of them that I keep getting reminded about. Uh, one of them was at a haunted nightclub in southeast London, um, a nightclub by the name of Caesar's Nightclub, run by a gentleman called Fred Bat. And um, in an investigation of that particular location, some people were hearing noises from above them, and they were in a dressing room, and there were no rooms above that room. So basically the room above... It was just uh, the ceiling. If you were to be above that room, you'd be out in the open air. You'd be on the roof, basically. Okay. And they heard, heard the noises, and they were very, very loud, very loud footsteps. And I said, one possible explanation is that you've got an owl on the roof wearing wooden clogs. <laughs> oh, you killed me. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that was... So that, <clears throat> and that's not the best one. That's not the best one. The best one is... Tell me you, wait a minute. Tell me you were not serious. I was not serious. Oh, no. thank God. I was not serious. Owls don't wear clogs in the summer. There's no way it could have been. Oh, that's great. true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Far too hot. The other one was at um, a, an underground kind of prison-type uh, place in, um, in London. Again, an investigation was going on. And a member of the crew got a uh, a very small scratch or a graze on their forehead. Suddenly, um, they kind of stopped proceedings by by yelling "ouch" and holding their head, and they got a very small scratch on their forehead. And my explanation at the time, quite innocently, was: "Well, we can't discount the possibility. Aside from the fact it, it could have been them causing it, there's also the possibility that they may have been." hit or grazed in some way by an insect that they didn't see at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, Steve Parsons, who's a, a colleague of mine, and I know you've spoken to him as well, Ron, yeah. is uh, he's pointed out, given his physics background, that in order for an insect to cause that level of damage, and he's looked up the statistics about it, he's spoken to experts, he's looked at you know the various information that you can about... Um, the flight of insects and the speed of insects. In order for an insect to cause that level of damage just flying by the forehead, they would have to be flying faster than the speed of sound. <laughs> well, so I think we can count that one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, immediately that raises questions. However, in my defense, what I do have to say is at that, it was that point, where the member, the team member did get scratched on the forehead, there was a loud bang heard. And so maybe it was an insect flying through the sound barrier and causing that loud bang. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Those are the only two wild and crazy explanations I've ever given. I won't ever go down that route again. <laughs> but, you know, what's interesting is... Um Last summer, Richard Felix came over, and I, I believe you know him, right? You've run into him yes, before. Yes, very well. A lot of respect for the guy. <laughs> and I, I didn't realize, but he was actually f- afraid of the dark. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. And for somebody who's 
I mean, essentially, he's a ghost historian and an mm-hmm. investigator himself and a man with an, an incredible amount of knowledge um, about ghost, ghost stories, particularly in this country. I find that amazing. And also somebody as well that uh, runs ghost walks mm-hmm. as well and even, and even owns his own allegedly haunted location, Derby Jail. And, uh, yeah, I, I just find that amazing that he's scared of the dark. It's almost as though um, he's punning him, punishing himself every single weekend by doing ghost walks and running investigations. Oh, my God. I would think that he would get by it eventually. I mean, no, no, no. Uh, he's, really? He's oh. been scared since he was a kid. But any, we had an interesting thing. He and I went in, into... Uh, uh, the woods, that little round top up in Gettysburg, in, in, in the dock of the night, of course, just two of us. And, you know, he's working on his pet project about ghosts and battlefields. And so anyways, we're in the uh, the woods, and he's sitting on a rock, and he's calling out to, I don't know, the 4th of Maine or whatever. And uh, I, I'm deep in the woods. You know, I took quite a few steps backwards, and I'm just sitting there watching him uh, from a distance. And he's talking into the, the little handheld camcorder, and he's saying, well, it's the fourth of May, can you please give me a sign, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, he goes, oh, gee, that's swearing and everything. He gets up, and he says, well, I'm not sure if that is a sign or not, but I, I just got touched on my thigh. He Ooh, says, uh, I, I'm sure, I, I mean, it, it's possible, I mean, it was moisture dropping from the trees, or it yeah. was... Uh, uh, you, you know, an insect, uh, or, or maybe uh, somebody threw something at me. Uh, so, so I'm saying, you know, it, it, that's impossible. So, p- please, men from the fourth, if that really was you, can you can you just, you know, give me another sign so I definitely w- knows you? I, I can't repeat this whole thing over the air, by the way, because he said some words that even I are embarrassed to hear. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, oh, 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 it all happens again, and so he gets back. To, it was on the same spot. He said, well, well I, I really can't discount this. I said, He's, you know, it, it, it might have been rain the first time and just hit there. And it might have been an insect. And it might have been somebody throwing something. But, you, you know, I just get hit in the exact same spot. So I says, you know, really, well, he says, excuse me. He says, really, can you just give me one more sign so I know that it's absolutely you? And the next thing I know, he's screaming and yelling, jumps up, falls over a rock, Oh. Cuts his whole uh, shin bone up and, and bleeding. He got hit in the exact same spot again. Wow. So, uh, so I mean, coincidence? I mean, uh, wow. l- l- let me ask. I mean, I know you weren't there, Karen. And no. uh, I keep calling you Karen, and I really do apologize. I have this thing with names that I just totally butcher, and, and it's really not showing any disrespect. It's just a bad me. It's. Can you say it for me? Your name? Karen. Kieran, Kieran, yeah, Kieran. Kieran or Dr. Spooky? <laughs> Dr. Spooky might work. Kieran. I think he could spit that out. Probably spit that out. I could probably get that. So, Kieran, um, do you have, I know you weren't there, but do you have, can you rationalize that? Uh, yes. Like, you, you make a good point, though. It would be tough for me to do it because, because I wasn't there. And you already kind of rationalized the first instance in saying... It could have been something like a raindrop or something else dropping, you know, on him or some natural explanation for the first touch. For it to happen a second time, the immediate thing I'd be worried about is something that we 
think about in terms of psychologists and haunting experiences, the idea of suggestion. If you suggest to somebody that a place is particularly haunted, then they're going to have experiences just because of the suggestion. Now, I know Richard is a seasoned investigator, but he had a significant experience in a particular location. He went back to that same spot, willing mm-hmm. for the same experience to happen. And already you've got a suggestion effect there. So I would argue that maybe on the second instance, an alternative explanation could be we're dealing with suggestion. He's, he's willing it to happen. His, his mind is already, although he's unaware of it, preparing him or playing tricks on him in a way to have that same experience again. For it to happen on the third time and for it to have more of a significant effect to the point where you said, you know, he practically hurt himself with his reaction. Oh, he did hurt himself. He actually bled. Yeah, that makes it a little bit more interesting because with the suggestion effect, you may have people having the same experience in the same spot or uh, a similar sort of experience, but to have such an extreme reaction, given that he was already expecting it, Mm -hmm. is quite odd. You know, he, he knew it was coming, and yet he still had an extreme reaction. You know, if you, knew, if you know something is coming, you know you're going to have that same experience again, or you believe that you are, you wouldn't necessarily have that sort of reaction, you know, just down to suggestion. So maybe there's something more interesting going on, you know. Right. A, a frustrating thing is it's kind of open. I'm dealing with your account of it and... You know, when oh, I speak to Richard next, I'll ask him about it. But uh, given that it happened three times as opposed to just the twice, mm-hmm. I find that a little bit more interesting than your standard suggestion effect. And, and it's really interesting because, you know, we talked, he even brought up three different things, possible raindrops coming down from the tree, uh, an insect, or, or, or someone throwing a stone. But to be hit in the same spot uh, by any of those things is, uh, you, you know, the odds are very low. They're extremely low, I guess uh, you sure. would say. Sure, yeah. They are very low. But then again, but then again, you're dealing with three separate instances. And like I said, mm-hmm. it may, if you're dealing with alternative explanations, it may have happened in the first instance, but then you've got a suggestion effect for the second right, instance. Right. And we need to, you know, we need to deal with each of them as independent from the other. But you're right, for each of them to have the same natural cause, which is a raindrop or something similar, but hitting exactly the same point, for the chances of that happening, it's extremely remote. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I just find it fascinating. I mean, but, and, and you're, you're, I guess, uh, I'm a little concerned because it seems like you could actually, you know, explain away anything. So you could say there is no paranormal if you keep using your logic that, you know, your mind is playing tricks on, ba- on you, basically. Or, no, or that you're, no. You're, I, mean, I mean, you know, there's an, there's an element of that, but I think it would be arrogant for a, a psychologist to do that. And I think, mm-hmm. no, I, I wouldn't say that we're dealing with a situation where the mind, whether it's hallucin- hallucination, suggestion, perception effects, these sort of things, perceptual hypothesis, uh, bias, um, group conformity, these sort of right. things. You can't explain, you can't use psychology necessarily in every single instance. And especially because 
we're dealing with a particular area of the paranormal when, as you know, and and too, you get physical phenomena. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. with with the psychological explanations, you're dealing more with phenomena that it's the person reporting it. You don't necessarily have any measure of it using equipment or you don't have a record of it. With haunting phenomena where it's physical, then you could easily have a measure of it, whether it's EMF or temperature or humidity, you name it, you could have a measure of it, but you could also have, or you could have a recording of it, be it an audio recording or video recording in those instances, no, there's no way you could turn around and say, well, there's something psychological going on. You just, you just can't do it. Okay. I mean, there was an interesting, uh, I think, unexplained series that, that used to be on, I believe, Robert Stack uh, narrated. I'm not sure. But one of them was about this uh, graveyard where there was supposed to be a, uh, I believe, a woman who hung herself. I don't know the exact details, but to right. be honestly, it, it is really important. But there was a graveyard where this spirit was supposed to appear, and that's the, the, the gist of it. And this whole town of people came out to there, and they looked, and all of a sudden somebody said, Oh, look, there she is. And then everyone in that group <laughs> saw that ghost. But yeah. yet, when they reviewed the video from it, there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. And it looked like a mass. Yeah, that's one that's one of the aspects. I mean, if you go from an individual reporting something to then a group reporting something, you have to bear in mind that there's a number of different psychological factors with a group that can take effect. One of them could be, and I think Anne kind of hinted at that, you know, not, you know, possibly uh, hysteria or some sort of group hallucination. There's also something called group conformity, where if you're in a group doing a ghost hunt, one person says, oh, I just heard a noise, did you hear that? Well, if the second and third person said yes, and if the fourth person didn't actually hear the noise, (laughs) because of group conformity, they'll feel pressured to go, yeah, I heard it too, even though they may not actually have heard it. You know, so there are group concepts that we have to be aware of when we're ghost hunting. And yet, the key thing, and you said it, Ron, is that group, when they were looking, uh, they reported it, but there wasn't footage of it, or there wasn't footage for us to interpret. Right. And so, you're dealing with still, even though it's a group which makes it a little bit more evidential than an individual's report because you can compare their descriptions of it or their reports, even though it makes it a little bit more evidential, it's still what we call subjective evidence because there isn't the hard evidence to then analyze or to say, well, what you saw was, and then you could come up with a natural explanation for that based on the analysis, or what you saw was a ghost. You know. So when... Is it possible, okay, let me, let me throw this, is it possible that our eyesight, uh, the data we receive through our eye, uh, cannot be verified by a camera lens? For instance, can we see something that a camera can't see? <laughs> I'm going to be, uh, uh, it's going it's to sound a bit cheeky, me saying this, but... Uh, uh, that one way that that can happen, quite simply, is the camera's pointing the wrong way. 
<laughs> this is true. You know, that's, that's, that's one way. Um, the other side of it is, and this is why you're tapping, you know, this is why we're having these discussions and tapping into this is, is just a fascinating field. Is the other part of it is, do we really know what makes up a ghost? Do we know what sort of material it is? Do we know what constitutes a ghost at the end of the day? We don't. We really don't know what constitutes it. And there have been fleeting moments when images have been caught on cameras, when, you know, possibly uh, ghosts have been caught on video camera, but they are quite fleeting. And so maybe, and it's, and it's a good theory, and it's a good argument why we're not getting that evidence, maybe the technology or the camera technology does not exist yet for us to be able to take, to capture that evidence. Okay. Like you say, can, can ghosts be caught on video camera, given the video cameras we've got today? Who knows? Difficult. The only thing I can say is, that, you know, when you look at the analogy or you look at the comparison between the processes going on in, uh, you know, a human eye versus a video camera, it's not, it's not such a huge leap. Do you right. know what I mean? I can't understand what the gap would be between those two processes. For us well, to, we, we know together. that, for instance, there is a difference between uh, 3D cameras and a straight camera, Correct. Yes, I'll give you that. So, couldn't it be that same type of effect where, yes, yes, the uh, lens of a camera and the lens of an eye are, may be similar, but uh, maybe because one of us is an organic composition, uh, it, it has some, some traits that the uh, uh, man-made or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, elementary, not elementary, but anyways, the camera lens can't see, so, do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, no, I see where you're going. And and then, of course, what happens is you, you are talking about something that's then always going to be an argument until such, such technology arises that can actually film or photograph ghosts, because otherwise then you're basically just dealing with theory. If people uh, are seeing ghosts, you know, people mm -hmm. are seeing ghosts, but we can't capture it, is it because people are not seeing ghosts, or is it because we don't have the technology to capture it? And, you know, we could just argue that point, couldn't we, ad, ad infinitum, basically? Go ahead, Ann. I and, I, I, and I think you, you're still going to have the people who are going to argue with you who are taking digital pictures and seeing orbs, which we're not seeing with our eyes, but the camera is seeing them. So now you've got that argument saying, well, the camera yeah. sees this, how come it wouldn't see a goat? You know, but we're not seeing it with our human eyes. So that's the flip yeah. side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a very good point. And that could be used as an argument against, you know, right. this, this, this idea of uh, cameras not being able to capture ghosts. But then again, somebody could turn around and go, well, when we first, starting, first started finding orbs, the theory about them was that they were the first stage of the manifestation of spirit. Mm -hmm. right. So maybe cameras can only capture the first stage. We actually you know have a question, yeah. question for you, uh, Dr. Spooky, <laughs> from the uh, <laughs> Parallax chat room. And um, basically it says, what do you think of full-spectrum cameras? Um, my experience with full-spectrum cameras is uh, being in Dublin, 
at the Dublin Paracon uh, last November, where I'm going to be again this November, and speaking at length to Barry Fitzgerald uh, from uh, Ghost, or people know him from Ghost Hunters International, at least. And I have to say, I wasn't impressed. Really? I wasn't, I, I wasn't, I'll tell you why, I tell, I'll tell you. Oh, we're losing you. Hello? Uh oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Hello. No, I'm here. Oh, good. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Sounds like a commercial. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I have to say, I wasn't impressed um, with the evidence that Barry Fitzgerald presented. Also, okay. because um, he was talking about a full spectrum camera which he wasn't able to produce at the convention, he wasn't able to produce any photographs apart from a small red orb at the convention and so i wasn't able to make an assessment of the evidence at that particular point in time the other thing of course he's talking about full spectrum he's talking about manipulation of things like rgb you know red green blues that sort of thing kind of all all the 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 wavelengths in the spectrum that we have It's a tough one because you're dealing with ghosts, something we don't know about. We don't know exactly what you need to capture them. So to then say, well, let's go full spectrum or let's, let's change the way the cameras look. It's, it's a little bit playing in the dark, isn't it? You know, it's a little bit theoretical. And at the end of the day, you're going to have problems going into the full spectrum anyway. You're going to get kind of byproducts of increasing the spectrum that you could easily misinterpret. However, I'll hold up my hands a little bit and say, I'm just basing this on uh, Barry Fitzgerald's presentation last year at Paracon. I'll kind of, you know, remain open-minded until I see some more evidence. What do you think? I haven't enough experience with it. That's one of the other things. I know we're about 30 seconds to break, but that's one of the things that I do want to touch on when we get back is that okay. we have so many people doing things out there, but very little training. Uh, yeah. And so I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on that, but we actually are coming up on the break. As far as the Spectrum camera, though, uh, I really, really would have to work with it a lot more than uh, I care to right now. So, Okay. Does that help at all? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a uh, very good answer, non-committal answer. And you're right, you know, you have to see the evidence, you have to see how it works before you can make a final decision, I think, at the end of the day. And anyways, uh, we are going to take a break right now. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles Live on Pararex, Ghost Channel, Net, and beyond. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. 
So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Hello, I'm Dr. Kieran O'Keefe, and I'm standing on the battlements of a castle in Portsmouth, England. At the end of August, I'm going to be coming to Portsmouth in Massachusetts, where I'll be doing various workshops, investigations, and even having dinner with the dead. So I'll see you then. And we're back. There you go. Hey. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles with Ron Colligan and Kerrigan on Tojinet, Ghost Channel Beyond, and Parex. And our very special guest is Dr. Karen O'Keefe. Uh, I did want to correct you, and I hate correcting the doctor. I know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I do sincerely apologize. <laughs> I really do. I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get corrected for that, I'm sure, again when I come over to the States. I do apologize <laughs> oh, that's to, all, it's funny. to everybody from Portsmouth and Massachusetts and New Hampshire. You know what? That 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 shows that people are listening, and it shows that uh, you know it makes it memorable, memorable, memorable. So, anyways, <laughs> you are coming over here very shortly, within a few days, yeah. and we got some actually some neat neat things uh, planned. Uh, I know we have two of the dining with the dead. One is at the haunted Wyndham restaurant. Well, allegedly haunted to make you feel better, uh, and the haunted <laughs> allegedly haunted Crockett Colonial Inn, which. <laughs> I believe you're going to be giving a presentation at both of those. Yes, I am. Yeah. I'm basically going to be talking about uh, investigating the paranormal, just generally. I'll be kind of, it's kind of lighthearted because it's in a, you know, kind of a dinner environment. I don't want mm-hmm. to bore people to death with my usual lecturing style. So <laughs> I'll be chatting about some of the horror stories, some of the uh, funny moments that I've had. Um, in uh, paranormal investigations, but also in terms of my experience uh, doing television investigations, working on Most Haunted and um, Jane Goldman Investigates and various other shows, but also chatting about uh, the most extreme unethical stories that I've come across or extreme unethical cases in the ghost world that I've come across uh, in my 20 years of being involved in this area. Basically... Um, I just hope to have a lot of fun, and I'll be ready to answer any questions that anybody has. There you go, and the Guinness will flow. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, and and also, you will be doing a couple of ghost hunts with us, uh, which will be That's interesting. Right. Uh, yep. uh, I'm, I'm dying to see how mm. you're going to uh, address. I know one of these places, the old man. So we've actually had some physical evidence, which was really, really interesting. I, I know that the, the last one I did there, uh, I was addressing the, the group uh, in the bookstore, and uh, there was about 35 or so, and as I was standing in front of them, one of the books came flying off the shelf, and I don't mean like dropped off the shelf, it went zooming by me, and it wasn't like it was sitting on the shelf, it was in one of those uh, uh, book holders, so it was, you know, couldn't go anywhere, and uh, right. it zipped right by me. So I, 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 that was in front of, uh, you know, about 35 people, so that was certainly interesting. The other thing that happened there was we definitely had a tram or baby carriage push someone across the room, which was interesting as wow. well. Wow. You say interesting. If if that happens to me when I'm there, I'll be blown away. <laughs> really? 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, for, you know, to get that level of physical phenomena where you can, you know, guarantee that uh, it's not being caused by somebody else. Yeah, I'd be extremely impressed by that. A book, like you say, not just a random book that's kind of balanced on a shelf and it could right. easily fall off. A book where it would be difficult for that book to come off the shelf and also, you know, something that would cause somebody to fall over or be pushed as well. Yeah, I'd be very impressed with that. You've got to remember, of course, that I'm always on my guard, having been involved in loads of investigations, but also being involved in Living TV's Most Haunted or Travel Channel's TV, uh, Travel Channel's Most Haunted for those in North America. So I am on my guard in terms of investigating. But sure, if I'm confronted with that level of physical phenomena, I would be impressed. I would not turn around and go, well, that's interesting. I would be blown away. I'd buy you a Guinness. <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny is, is that ever since I've been doing this, uh, I always get that question. You know, of course, I, I work with Marvin, who is a trans medium, and if you ever get a chance to see her work, I, I think you'll be amazed. I, I know you worked with Derek Akara before, so um, yeah. uh, they're not, not the same. Uh, I, I think there's a, definitely a distinct difference. Uh, uh, I think that Derek is more animated, but I think Maureen is much more darker. Uh, it, it, it's interesting to say, but anyways, ever since I've been doing this and, and people ask me, well, have you ever been scared? Have you ever been this? And, and the answer to, is, to that is absolutely no. It's just like, I'm so there to do that and so wrapped up in the moment and, and, involve, and involved in, you know, the, the safety of the group and, and so forth and what's yeah. going on is that when something happens like that, it's just like, oh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not like, it, it's like, uh, it, it's impressive to me, but not like, uh, you know, I, I think later on when I think back, I say, well, that was really cool, you know, but uh, I've had so many strange things that I really can't explain, and uh, it's just become second nature, I, I think, mm -hmm. if that's possible. Mm -hmm. Pretty much like a surgeon. A surgeon works on, on, a, on a person, cutting them and, and bleeding and there's all kinds of stuff, and sure. but he doesn't really show a lot of emotion. He's just involved in what he's doing, and... Yeah. And that's what it is. Maybe afterwards he might break down. Well, and cry it's, it's not only th it's not only that too. Is that uh, you know, the three of us sitting here chatting have kind of chosen an interest or a career for a particular reason, you know. And at the end of the day, a lot of people say to me, they say, "Oh, come on, Kieran, you're just a cynic." You know, if a ghost came up to you face to face mm -hmm. with you, you just scream and run the other way. <laughs> Absolutely not. This is as a lifetime career for me. If a ghost came up to me face to face, if anything, the ghost would run away because I'd be there with a, you know, papers of questions. I'd take photographs. I'd be there with a video camera. The ghost would get bored and and run the other way. And and it's the same thing. You just don't get scared. It's it's what you want right. to do. You want to find the evidence. The last thing you should do is turn the turn the other way. Oh, absolutely. Turn, yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. I think when you're I know when I go out and people ask me that all the time as well. Aren't you scared? Aren't you afraid? I'm, I'm not. I think you are so caught up in uh, setting up equipment and, you know, figuring out where people are going to be. And it's almost, like, uh, it's almost like a business kind of thing, the way I look at it. Yeah. Well, this has to happen, this has to happen, and this has to happen. I don't have time to be scared. It would be really cool. But um, I don't have time for that right now. <laughs> but I do think that you just you get used to it. You get used yeah. To it. 
and you and you thrive on it too at the same time. Yeah, I mean, exactly. we, I, I was on an investigation one time. We actually had a uh, a window shatter, absolutely shatter, and yet right. I didn't move at all. I just ran to see if someone was near it, what the story was the, that was behind it, more than the shadow of the thing. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that's, I think that's because you're in that mode that you're, but you know, you're really there to investigate and you want to find the answers. And so that's why you're so wrapped up in it. You're not there to be scared. I think the true investigator is there for that reason. And maybe that's, maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's what we're thinking about. The real investigator, one that really cares about what he's doing and, and is trying to find answers versus someone who's going in there perhaps wanting to be scared. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Perhaps that is the the uh, adrenaline junkies, people mm-hmm. that, that are, are doing it for that particular reason. But also I think you have touched upon a point, both of you, Ron, in terms of you know the amount of experience you've got and kind of investigating places time and time again, but also having investigated loads of different places and Anne kind of saying that it's about business, you know, kind of doing your business mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Well, you're both kind of touching a point, a point uh, upon something there as well, is that uh, having done all of these investigations, when we go into the next one, we're familiar with the sort of phenomena that can happen. Mm-hmm. We're used to it. We're used to things happening. We're used to, it's a bizarre thing to say, but we expect the unexpected, if that's <laughs> the right way to say it. You know, whereas somebody that's kind of new or fresh to investigations... Uh, would be surprised, would be shocked, you know, and react in that way. But as seasoned investigators who are really there to find the truth and find evidence and have been exposed to it a number of times, yeah, we expect the unexpected no matter what it is. We actually have a couple of questions I have to touch on. Uh, I I know that two of the places we will be investigating is the old man's in Concord, which is by the home of uh, Hawthorne and Emerson, and it's also where the revolution started, the North Bridges on the property. So that'll be cool. And the other one is the Hooten Mansion, uh, which was on the TV show The Ghost Adventurers, and I know Taps have been there before, and uh, it's it's really a really good place. We were the, one of the first, to, well, we were the first to investigate it, and uh, we've always had good results there, so those are two good places. So anyways, we do have a question. Uh, we have two questions, and one of them I kind of let slide. And they're kind of related in a way. I think one of them asked is, first, do you believe in ghosts? And before you answer that, because uh, I think you can do this as a two-parter, uh, okay. I, the other part would be, uh, where is this thing? Uh, have you ever had a paranormal experience that you truly couldn't debunk? So they are kind of related, I think. Okay, yes. Uh I think it's difficult to separate the two. Belief, let me start off by saying that it's not an issue of belief for me. Is that it may be bizarre for people to, to hear this, but as a scientist and a parapsychologist that's been involved in it for 20 years, I try and leave belief to the side. There's a famous parapsychologist, a guy called Richard Broughton, who was based at Institute of Parapsychology, was a president of the Institute for a number of years, This is the institute where parapsychology first started way back in the 30s. And he said, for any parapsychologist, it's not about belief. It's about assessing each case as objectively as possible. And that's kind of the philosophy that we have. 
we describe ourselves as skeptics, which means truly open-minded, but always questioning. I myself, I'm a particular form of skepticism, which is called py- pyronism, which basically means that you suspend judgment for each investigation or case. And that's generally, it's not just the paranormal. And so to bring belief into it would immediately kind of bias that judgment or bias how you look at a case. However, I am open-minded to the possibility, you know, which, which, which if you really get down to the nitty-gritty, if you, if you feed me a few pints of Guinness and say, <laughs> come on, you know, you say you're open-minded, you say it's not about belief, but the fact that you're open-minded means that you're not closed-minded, that you haven't turned around and said there's nothing there. And that's the key thing, is that I think that there's something there. I don't think we've done enough research to kind of test all of the skeptical explanations that are out there in the same way that I think we need more research done collecting more scientifically the evidence that is being collected by people in terms of their personal experiences. And then that leads nicely on to my personal experiences. Have I ever had a personal experience which I cannot uh, debunk? Not personally, no. I've had maybe a hundred or so experiences that other people might call paranormal. I've heard noises. I've had physiological reaction to things, uh, even occasionally a sense of presence. I've had a lot of experiences, and it's all down to interpretation because I know about the environment. I know about psychology. I'm able to interpret those experiences differently. And those are in terms of you know, experiences that I would turn around. I regard a personal experience. Have I had something where I would turn around and say, I've had a haunting experience. I've sensed spirit or I've seen spirit. That hasn't happened to me. In one particular case, however, an investigation of a closed-down uh, nightclub in um, the northwest of England, coincidentally a nightclub called Hex, um, <laughs> several of the staff had reported seeing um, an apparition. They'd felt a sense of presence. There had been anything up to 20 or so unexplained spontaneous fires in the, uh-huh. uh, in the club. And this is when, it's, when it was closed to the point where the fire service, the investigating officers weren't able to find an explanation for it, um, for those fires. I think a couple of them were reported as arson. The rest, they couldn't find an explanation. And it all tied in with uh, the fire exit doors opening of their own accord. And they're these heavy-duty double-opening fire exit doors in which you need to push down on a huge metal bar to exit. I think you have similar things in North America. Um, And it had happened a couple of times. It was caught on CCTV, but it was grainy CCTV. Difficult to make out whether or not uh, it could have been caused by somebody crouching down next to the door or somebody outside. But I was there on an investigation where there are a number of controls in place, including cameras, air pressure, and air movement sensors, and the fire exit doors opened of their own accord, and there was nobody on either side of those doors. Wow. I have no explanation for that at all. Interesting. Do you ever consider that, I mean, I know where you're coming from with a lot of this, because I, I, too, have a degree in environmental science. I'm not a parapsychologist. All right, doctor, so I, I don't 
try to put myself in the same league as you. Uh, however, I, I do have you know a science background to, to, to draw upon. Do you ever find yourself or, or even think that you, because of who you are, a, a parapsychologist, a doctor, are blinded by science? In other words, you really have something and yet your mind is so logical and so want to explain it away that, that it will explain it away when maybe it, it didn't have to be. It's a good question, and uh, I don't think so in terms of um, how I approach and how I think about um, paranormal experiences or how I think about a haunted location. I don't think so. But it's okay. a fair point that's been raised by a number of different people, and I did an investigation with the most haunted team at a place called Stockport Warehouse, which is around Manchester direction. And on that particular investigation, we went out on a vigil. We were all split up into two separate vigils. And Yvette took me to one side and said, Kieran, for this particular vigil, I want you to forget that you're a parapsychologist. I want you to forget interpreting or thinking about the sceptical explanation for anything that happens. I want you to completely forget your scientific mind. Basically go back to when you were a boy, when you didn't know about science, when you were fascinated by this area, you know, for different reasons. Just don't be critical at all. Interesting exercise, which I did, and I was absolutely 100% truthful about it and honest about it and really threw myself into the exercise. Excellent. And I'll tell you what, I became scared at various points i became quite anxious uh, at some point a glass smashed um it was on a windowsill i didn't in, i didn't attempt to interpret what could have happened but immediately i felt anxious i felt as though maybe i'd witnessed something paranormal you know so i i had an extremely different reaction to everything that happened even if it was happening to other people I had a different reaction because I put myself in a different mindset. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that anything that happened that night was paranormal, right. but I'm saying my reaction to it was different. And so it's a fair question that you have. I don't think it scuppers my chances of capturing evidence the way I think, but it just shows you that I can have a very different experience by thinking differently. Okay. Uh, my question, in fact, I, I was going to ask you, before the break, but we ran out of time, is there are hundreds, well, no, hundreds, thousands and thousands of uh, paranormal investigators out there now, uh, or people who are engaged in paranormal investigating. Do you think that we are underqualified? Uh, are they not, are they, how, how can I say this? In other words, I mean, you have training, okay, you, you have a degree. Yeah. Uh, but there are so many of it just thrown into this or read a book. Uh, are we getting good data from that or are we not? Or, I mean, is this hurting us more than helping us? I think it depends on the individuals. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not an arrogant person to say that I know everything. And right. I, bow down, I bow down to somebody like yourself somebody, you know, uh, physicists, environmental scientists that have more knowledge about EMF and infrasound and these sort of environmental factors than I do. Because as a parapsychologist, 
a lot of the time I'm in the laboratory. I'm in a university. I'm interviewing people. I'm not out in the field doing research. And I'm certainly not somebody with a physics or an environmental science background. And so there are investigators out there who have those qualifications or who have the, that knowledge. And I think they are doing a great service to the field because they are using equipment correctly. They have the knowledge about the environment. They're collecting data. They're collecting evidence. And I think that's a good thing. But generally, to say, you know, is the field or are investigators underqualified? And I know you're not trying to say qualified, but, you know, are they doing, you know, doing the right thing or are they kind of missing, missing the boat or something like that? Right, right. I, th- I, think, I think there's, uh, in the main, most of the people that I have a lot of respect for, uh, mm-hmm. yourself, um, people like April Slaughter, there's various others, Shannon Sylvia, for example, you know, there are investigators out there, I'm just we're talking about North America, who have gone to the effort of reading books, understanding about previous investigations, understanding mm-hmm. what investigations have been done before, at least understanding what an e, what EMF is or understanding what infrasound is. And so I have respect for that because then if you're then collecting information or collecting data, collecting evidence, then, you know, it's good. You, you're doing it in the appropriate way because at least you've done the research, you've done the reading beforehand. Too often with these group groups, the knowledge is not there and groups are basically just stumbling around in the dark, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Well, you know what really got me uh, interested in it was that, uh, I I believe it was Facebook, but there was somebody who was on there, and they said, oh, we just completed an investigation, and uh, the video camera and uh, the digital recorder picked up a Class A EVP, and we heard it too. And to me... The, the, the simple explanation of that is that the true definition of an EVP, a true EVP, is, mm. is not, it's not a, a recording. It's actually uh, the manipulation of the white noise on a recorder where a yes. spirit manifests its voice on it. So what they, they got was really not an EVP, yet they still call it that. Yeah, and it's and it's not understanding the terminology, like you say. It's not understanding the history of things like EVP. It's not understanding how to do these things. Right. And you're right. And it's not just EVP. It's the same with you know EMF. You know, it's 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 the same thing. It's the same thing with people saying that you can do an EMF survey of a location with a K2 meter. You can't. You know, it's it's just not understanding and not doing enough research or enough background reading about these particular particular ideas. And your example of the EVP is a prime one. And, and uh, we actually have another question, so I want to throw that out. While we're talking about equipment, is uh, you think that, yeah, I, I see where this one's coming from, <laughs> which I'm sure you will definitely agree. Do you think that science technology will ever develop a better means of analyzing paranormal data? <laughs> and we all know what that's about because that's got to be like the most boring job in the world <laughs> in terms of in terms of trawling through data yes at the end of the day yeah i think i think yes 
I think it will. You know, uh, I think some of the technology already exists out there. It's just not affordable for ghost hunters. Um, for example, in psychology, there's um, something called observation software that's used in child development um, research. And the, the top level of that, uh, that software and that sort of equipment is extremely complex and extremely detailed, but it's the sort of software that could be applied to analyzing um, lock-off camera footage. But it's not affordable to, you know, your, your regular amateur ghost hunter. So I think a lot of this software is available. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of the technology now uh, uh, available. Now, EVPs is another example. You know, within the, in the forensics field, there are forensic audio experts who have the technology to be able to analyze EVPs in a quicker, um, better, more scientific way than the amateur ghost hunter can. That level of footage, that let that level of technology, sorry, and that level of expertise just is not available to the amateur ghost hunter. And so, all, all uh, the answer to that question is that the technology and science it already exists, but we just need to make it more affordable. That makes sense, and, and of course, if if we continue on this trend where more and more people are uh, getting involved in ghost hunting, then uh, they may create a demand for it, which will certainly drive pricing down right. on it. Yeah, so, anyway, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's already we've seen it uh, already with the thermal imaging camera. Right. You know, five mm-hmm. years ago, it was. Uh, a really, really exclusive uh, weapon of choice for the ghost hunter. But now, <laughs> at least in the UK, you can get them for the cheapest ones now are about £1,000, which is, what, about $1,300. Wow. Um, and so they are going down in price already. Mm-hmm. And, and we have the opposite end of that spectrum. We look at some of the, perhaps the worst equipment that we have, which is the, like the K2 meter, which is really a, a lousy EMF meter, and uh, the DR60, which is a, a terrible recorder, yet they're driving big uh, prices on eBay and other things because there is such a demand for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think some of the pricings of this stuff is completely out of whack, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Can you believe we run out of time? No. No, it's flown by. Oh. And absolutely, I, I can't wait to see you You'll be coming over, and we will have to continue our conversation. Uh, once again, uh, all of uh, Karen, uh, Dr. Spooky's uh, events are <laughs> on the website, N-E, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com, N-E, ghostproject.com. If you go on the website, all his events there. Uh, he has a couple of workshops we didn't even touch upon, which is Paranormal CSI, and uh, he'll also be addressing a paranormal study group as well, and that's at the Circles of Wisdom in Andover. Uh, you're doing a ghost cruise, which is one of my favorites. I got—I have to tell you about EVP last ghost crew we've got, which was absolutely phenomenal. He's got a couple of ghost hunts and everything else. Uh, so, Karen, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Ron, and thanks, Anne, and I can't wait to see you next week. Wow. Can you believe it? That's awesome. I know. Looking forward Can't to it. Wait. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. Thank you. And Good night. Is, oh, by your website, I almost always forget your website. Oh, okay. My website is www.theparapsychologist.com, 
uh, or people can find me very easily on Facebook. Just search for my name, Kieran O'Keefe, or my fan page, Dr. Kieran O'Keefe, or Twitter. My name is Kieran O'Keefe, all one word. Okay, Kieran, thank you very much, uh-huh. and we'll see you in a couple of days. Okay, see you soon. Yep, have a good night. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Well, it's time to say goodbye. Oh, that was so fast. Yeah, and it's time to say goodbye to our Pararex listeners. Uh, we oh. want to thank uh, Dave and Tom so much for uh, allowing us the opportunity to be on Pararex, and uh, we will miss them. Uh, as it looks up now, that uh, Ghost Chronicles International will still be there, but uh, if you do miss Ghost Chronicles, you can always pop over to Tojinet. But uh, anyways, uh, I guess it's time to wrap it up. All right. Well, good night, everyone. Thanks yep. for listening. Good night, and God bless, and see you in a bit. Bye-bye. From ghoulies to ghosties, long like it is.